Yes, that's fine. Price for party, that's that. I think it's going to rain this afternoon. Well, it uh, looks pretty uh, bright right now, but... Uh, the weatherman says 30% probability. 30%? Yes. Going to 50% tonight and... Eight Let's begin, Mr. Seitz, with the first recollections of films that you saw as a boy. What do you remember about those? Well, I remember I was very intrigued with the, uh, the trip to the moon, the French, uh, the Mays picture. Okay. And, of course, Joseph Pethulia is another Griffith picture, which I remember very mm -hmm. well. Were you particularly aware of uh, Griffith's reputation at the time or not? Well, not so much, but I, <coughs> I was intrigued with the fade-outs and the close-ups and the other things. Mm -hmm. The technical device. Yes. Then let's skip to, uh, let me see now, when did you get first uh, first get started in the industry? That was with S&A? S&A in now? Chicago. And around what time? Oh, uh, the latter part of 1909. 1910. 10. And for them you worked in the laboratory? Laboratory, yes. Mm -hmm. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, their methods of processing in those days? Well, as I remember, they used the, uh, the drum system for developing. Mm -hmm. So they're trying. Mm -hmm. And then from uh, SNA you went to, uh, to American, which was also situated in Chicago. In Chicago, so yes. And uh, they used uh, for developing they used the uh, rack and tank. Rack and tank. Mm -hmm. Not the not the drum system. You mentioned uh, G. P. Hamilton and Alan Dwan as being with American. Yes. At that time. Yes. And then our next step is uh, let me see St. Louis Motion Picture Company. Yes, that's there? right. And that was. That's that's uh, through Mr. Hamilton I went there. Through Mr. Hamilton? Yes. And that was uh, 1913, 1914, yeah, yeah, yes. I believe. And you went to yeah. St. Louis then? Yes, and from St. Louis I went to California, to mm -hmm. Santa Paula. Santa Paula, and uh, there they also, I believe you said, used the rack and tank system. Yes, we used the rack and tank system mm -hmm. at now, the laboratory. when you're out on the, uh, the coast, Sometime, it must have been around 1914, you went to uh, an outfit called Quality, didn't you? Well, that was a little later than that. That was uh, uh, in 1915. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us some, uh, some of your recollections about being with them, even though it might have been brief, the length of time you were there? Well, I know we worked very, very hard in the laboratory, and uh, <coughs> uh, Mr. Balsoffer was... Uh, somewhat of a laboratory man himself, and we were t we did so much work uh, with tinting and toning and so forth, and did it over and over again, and, uh, and uh, well, I, I remember it was extremely hard work. One time we had a, uh, in getting out a print, of one of his pictures, we uh, worked 48 hours straight hmm. to meet some sort of a deadline. Mm -hmm. That's my principal recollection yes. of the quality pictures. Except Although, you're uh, talking about Mr. Alder. Uh, Mr. Alder was a very interesting, uh, cameraman and very inventive mm -hmm. and I enjoyed uh, working with Mr. Halder. 
I have a notation here that says stereoscopic. Mr. Alder always uh, tried to achieve uh, stereoscopic without the use of glasses. Mm -hmm. That's why he went in for so much movement and so forth. Mm -hmm. His idea was to uh, approximate what you saw from a slowly moving train or something. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have another notation that says 16 millimeter camera. He had, uh, he had uh, many ideas about a small camera such as 16 millimeter, mm -hmm. even in those days. And also uh, said the Iceman would be a thing of the past in 10 years. So he, had some, so he was quite an inventive uh, person. Indicating that uh, he was thinking about the refrigerator even in those yes. days. Yes, oh yes. Now, I think you must have gone back to American uh, shortly after this. Yes, I did. I went from there to the American. Again in, in the laboratory. laboratory. And you or remember a particular picture called, I think, A Diamond in the Sky. That, yes, a serial, a very successful serial at that time. But I didn't have much recollection of the other pictures until I started the camera work myself, as I did with, starting with Gail Kane in Who's Wife, directed yes. by Roland Sturgeon. Yes, that was uh, released in uh, April of 1917. Yes, that's right. And then what happened to you? Uh, did you follow Miss Kane through? And I followed Miss Kane through uh, two other pictures, I think, with Mr. Sturgeon, and then with Henry King. That was... Souls and Pawn, wasn't it? Souls and Pawn, yes. Gail Kane and Douglas McLean. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, and then I believe there followed uh, a whole series of films that you made uh, with Henry King on direction and Gail Kane as a star. Yes. Uh, we. Then from... Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you went on location to make these, if you did move out of the studio? Well, we generally uh, went to... Uh, over to Santa Inez and places like that, mm -hmm. and uh, and of course uh, to Los Angeles quite frequently, and once to San Francisco with Miss Kane mm -hmm. and Lou Cody. And there was a film that you made at this time that uh, made quite an impression on you, and uh, was, as a matter of fact, it still remains one of your favorites, I believe, from that period. At that time, a game of wits. Yes, that was my favorite Gail Kane picture. Mm -hmm. Then apparently toward the end of 1917, uh, you and Mr. King were assigned to a star named Mary Miles Minter. Yes. And I believe one of your first films with her was uh, the Mate of the Ma Mate of the Sally Ann. Made a great deal of that was made in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. and something was going on at the time, wasn't it? While you yes, were there? we had a stevedore strike, and uh, and they were frequent. The beach quite. The only way we could get them out of the way to say we're going to shoot over there. So they better they shoot with a camera, but with a gun. So that got them out of the way quickly. Um, I have a notation here about um, Rollin Sturgeon, which we'll pick up a little later, but I believe that he discovered a star with whom you later had occasion to work in the later 20s. Yes, uh, Miss Corinne Griffith. Mm -hmm. That's right. One of the men in the company at that time was a character man by the name of uh, George... Um, Paralyte. Yes. What was the story you were telling me? Oh, he, uh, his father was a fairly prominent furrier in Chicago, and he wanted George to return the fur business, but <laughs> he didn't care for that. He must prefer acting. Mm -hmm. what, what are your rec recollections of uh, Henry King as a director in this period? Well, the thing I... I liked most about, admired most about Henry King was his great enthusiasm, which I think he still holds to this day. Mm -hmm. And later, of course, uh, I think in the 1930s, you again, after long, long interviews. Yes, I, I did a 
Nearly um, 20 years in between. That's there. right. Yeah. Uh, how did you happen to um, leave American and uh, go over to Hodkinson, was it? In, uh, oh, Hampton, Benjamin V. Hampton. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, through, that was through the efforts of uh, Edward Sloman. Mm -hmm. And the real reason was uh, it was much I received a much better offer than I had of the American, <laughs> and I was getting a little tired of the American anyway. Um, you, you said that there are a great many interiors. That yes, uh, natural interiors. And I mm -hmm. When you were working uh, with um, Edward Sloman uh, on this Hampton job. I think you made two pictures in here, one yeah. called the Western. Western and Stuart Edward White and uh, the Sagebrush with uh, Emerson Huff. Yes, and both of those were with Roy Stewart, weren't they? Uh, yes. Was Roy, was Roy in the Westerners? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, he, yes. yes uh, Roy Stewart and Wilfred Lucas in the for the Westerners. Do you remember where mo uh, those were shot? Were they shot on location someplace? Or? Uh, yes, we uh, did most of the Westerners. Uh, uh, the West. Uh, Mostly around uh, Saugus and uh, Newhall. Up in the the Sagebrush was done mostly around uh, Redlands. Mm -hmm. in, uh, I neglected to mention that uh, before going on this Hampton uh, contract, that you had continued with Mr. King in a series with William Russell too. Yes. For American. Yes, we did a great many pictures with William Russell. Mm -hmm. Those were westerns too. Uh, mostly westerns. Some were not. Uh, up Romance Road was not Western, and Hobbs in a Hurry was not was part Western. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a Western, really. I'm interested to know whether uh, you moved your camera very much in those days. No, uh, we didn't because on occasion we do uh, uh, running scenes from a, a camera car if the roads weren't too rough. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, the movement consists mostly of panning. Yes. And about how long did it take you to make the average film in those days? Oh, about four weeks. Four weeks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes five. Then, uh, let me see, after the uh, two pictures that you made with Edward Sloman, then you went to Metro. Yes. And tell us how that came about. I have a notation here that says Butler. Oh, Mr. Butler was a comptroller and sort of a manager of the studio. and. Uh, He's the one who introduced me to Rex Ingram. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't stop it. Well, uh, after being introduced to Mr. Ingram by Mr. Butler, I had quite a long talk with him. And he uh, liked a few things I'd done in the I had done in the Westerners. So, uh, anyway, after fairly long interview as he, as he walked out to his office with me he uh, said he promised Mr. Butler to look at somebody else's picture but with a, a mischievous Irish smile he said but I won't like it <laughs> so anyway I the next day I started with Mr. Ingram we had uh, been a, a sculptor he liked form and modeling he couldn't stand uh, flatness so I started off rather, uh, rather boldly. Interesting effects of light and shade. So. Uh, this is a picture with um, what, Mr. Sainz? Uh, Shore Acres. 
So after we finished the day's work, he said he liked very much what I was doing. He thought it was going to look wonderful. But so we had a call for uh, 12 o'clock the next day. In the meanwhile, he had seen the stuff, and he, he didn't like it. He said uh, the form was good, but it was so contrast, it was unpleasant. So uh, I felt rather put down, but uh, Mr. Carger, we went, we went to see Mr. Carger, who uh, suggested that uh, we do some exteriors that afternoon and make another test the following evening. Well, we test again. I used the light practically the same as I had before, but I went to the laboratory this night and told him to cut off two minutes off his normal developing time. The following... Uh, uh, in the meanwhile, I uh, asked Mr. Ingham if he, uh, in all the pictures he'd done, if he had... He must have something in some still picture of what he liked. So I went to his house. We, we went through about 200 still pictures and didn't find a single bit of lighting that he liked. <laughs> Perfectly true. <laughs> so uh, we continued with the uh, exteriors the following day, and we made another test on the interior. This time I, uh, I made the laboratory man cut his, uh, his developing time down to five minutes, mm -hmm. which is three minutes below normal. And the following day, uh, Mr. Ingram said that is the first time he'd ever seen anything on the screen that he liked, on, on, in the way on, on interiors. And this was the beginning of the long association. This is the beginning of the the long long association I had with Ingram. By the way, and uh, I made thirteen pictures in all with him. I was the only cameraman who ever worked with him who did more than one. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. Now, one day <coughs> at Laguna, you were having lunch with Mr. Ingram and a young lady. Yes, yeah, a young lady, Alice Tate, and. Uh, he, he said, uh, don't you think this girl would photograph very well, John? And I said, well, of course she would. He said, I always look awful. I don't think so I said, well, I'm sure something will be done about that. And later on, I did suggest a blonde wig. So we tried out two or three, and she wore one. And she kept that for a good many years. In fact, practically throughout her picture career. Uh, Miss Terry wore this in... Uh, the picture of Hearts of Trumps, and also in the Horseman and subsequent pictures. Mm -hmm. She appeared as an extra, did she not, in Showacres? In Showacres, yes. And what was the name of uh, Mr. Ingram's uh, teacher of sculpture? Uh, Lee Laurie. Lee Laurie. Mm -hmm. then in, in fact, I think uh, Rex always made his pictures for Lee Laurie, so for his for the approval of Lee Laurie. That's very interesting. As a matter of fact, didn't you tell me that? Um, uh, Mr. Laurie stated a preference for hearts or, or trumps. No, he likes show rakers even oh, better, even better than the horseman. Yes, which is a much more famous and successful picture. Yeah. Then hearts or trumps was, or I, I, I'm a, I've got that on my mind. I guess show acres was followed by uh, hearts or trumps. Trumps, right? yes, the old Drury Lane melodrama. Mm -hmm. I have a notation here that says Kennedy. Oh yes, we had a young man in hearts trumps. Ingram uh, was a. Well, it's a sticker for anyone portraying an artist to know something about what he's portraying. Mm -hmm. But Mr. Kennedy was uh, essentially a painter, and after a couple of weeks, the novelty of acting wore off, so he decided to go back to painting or something else, anything but acting. And then Hearts or Trumps was followed by mm -hmm. the, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. apocalypse. 
How many, how, about how long were you on that film? On the Four Horsemen? About uh, five months. About five months. And how many cameras did you have on that at uh, when you were... On, on the war sequences, we had uh, 14, yeah. which I think was a... It may have been a record, although probably Intolerance had more. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, your notations about the salary scale were very interesting. Well, uh, this is a great day for the producers because the highest-priced actor in the Horseman, I believe, was Wallace Berry, who received the magnificent sum of $600 a week. And just it, below him... He was followed by uh, Stuart Holmes and... Uh, Alan Hale? And Alan Hale. They were received about 500. The others were considerably down the scale. Valentino about three, Swickert about the same, and Alice Terry about 100. 100 dollars, yes. Now, um, I think that it's awfully interesting, your story of uh, the first day that Rudolph Valentino showed up on the set. Well, when he appeared, he uh, was wearing a mustache, which uh, certainly did not become him. And, uh, Rex Ingham uh, said, what, what's wrong with this fellow? I, I said, well, maybe he looked better without the mustache. Well, he said, you go over to the barber shop the next block and have it taken off, <laughs> which we did. Mm -hmm. Then without the mustache, he looked like Valentino. That was the it, Valentino that we know. <laughs> that's right. Would you say that uh, Valentino's performance in The Four Horsemen was the, uh, the almost totally a creation of Mr. Ingram's or not? No, I, I don't think so. Uh, to some extent, yes, but uh, Valentino was a, a very hard and thorough worker, and this part suited him uh, very much so. Uh, uh, playing a rake who was a graceful dancer was right down his alley, mm -hmm. and, and he worked very hard to... Uh, come up in other things. Of course, Singer was a great help to him, but Valentino was quite a person in, a, in his own right. Yes. Then in the tango sequence, I think uh, you said there was a... Uh, this was one of the first... Uh, Times uh, that the modern four dolly was used mm -hmm. to follow the, the dancers around. I think we were saying that the four horsemen almost put Metro on the map, didn't it? Yes, it did. Uh, it uh, sort of... Uh, it, I understand, entirely paid off Marcus Lowe's uh, purchase of the controlling interest in Metro. Mm -hmm. Then after uh, the Four Horsemen was over, there was a question about uh, whether Valentino was suitable for Camille. Tell us about making the test on it. Well, Nazimova felt uh, that while Valentino was great as a rake and somewhat of a heavy, that he might not be the ideal lover, mm -hmm. which uh, Armand uh, had to be. But we made a test of Valentina, which Wesley Ruggles directed, and I photographed. So Mazemba agreed to take him on as Armand. Mm -hmm. Was she in the test, by the way, or was it someone Oh, else? no, no. Alice Lake, I think, yes. made the test. Mm -hmm. So the uh, strangest thing about the movie, six months later, I saw Camille advertised in one of the downtown theaters and said, Camille, with Rudolph Valentino. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the exhibitor can put anyone on the marquee that he wants to. No mention of Mazemba. No mention of Mazemba at all, at least not on the marquee. Then from that you went to a film called uh, Uncharted Seas. This is 1921, directed by Wesley Ruggles. And uh, they were having some trouble making the North Pole on the back lot. They yes, like the North Pole, yes. Weren't they? Well, because uh, it's very hard to, uh, to make plaster look like real ice. Mm -hmm. So when uh, I was uh, asked to do that part, I 
simply covered, kept it covered with so much snow and fog filters that they couldn't see much of the, the, the strange plaster. Did you feel that this part was uh, uh, suited to Valentino? No, it, uh, not, 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 not at all. Not, not at all. Why was that? Well, he was covered with furs all the time, and uh, in the storm things, you didn't see very much of them. Mm-hmm. And it's not ex- uh, the North Pole is not exactly a romantic setting. Mm-hmm. And after that came the Conquering Power. Yes. Which was based on... Uh, the uh, Balzac story, Eugenie Grande. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this the, took you uh, a very short length of time to do, didn't this it? This was uh, the shortest picture I ever did with Rex Ingram. He was uh, notified that he would receive a, a diploma in fine arts mm-hmm. at New Haven at a certain date. So uh, we went through the picture very easily. We're very lucky. Everything turned out well. And uh, so Mr. Ingram was able to go to New Haven and get his diploma. And you and Miss Terry saw him off. Oh, sorry, saw him off. Yeah. They uh, gave, uh, the university gave this to Mr. Ingram for being successful in in after college life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then after a film called uh, Turn to the Right, which was kind of, um, was a lighter film, I gather, yes. the horse race in it, then comes uh, the, the Prisoner, pr- Prisoner of Zender. Mm-hmm. In The Prisoner of Zender, we, uh, for the first time, we had Ramon Navarro as uh, Rupert of Hensel. Mm-hmm. The uh, There was little uh, feeling on the part of the other more experienced actors that uh, Rex was pushing this young uh, man too much. Mm -hmm. But it all turned out well. Uh, I think uh, Rex was endeavoring to show that he could uh, manufacture uh, box office stars of of the Latin time. Mm -hmm. How did he happen to uh, get hold of Navarro in the first place? Tell us about making a close-up of... Uh, We're making a close-up of uh, Valentino in The Horseman, and... uh, I saw a man somewhat his type in the table beyond him, so I moved him around so he wouldn't show. And uh, Ingram asked me what I did that for, and I said he's too much uh, Rudy's type. Mm-hmm. So after uh, Valentino left the studio, he uh, got hold of the casting office and everyone else to endeavor to find this fellow. Well, we found him doing a dancing part in a... Uh, in a Penny Earl picture. A Lover's Oath, I think it was. Yeah, lo- Lover's Oath. So uh, we immediately uh, arranged a test for him, and uh, that was it. Mm-hmm. Then I have a notation that... Uh, did you go on location for this, or was this most of this done on the lot? Uh, mostly on the lot in, uh, and uh, places adjacent to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. How'd you get those magnificent effects in the cathedral? And, uh, oh, those were uh, those were uh, due mostly to the use of the hanging miniature, which I sort of co-invented with Fred uh, Gabriel. Mm-hmm. How did how did that uh, how did that operate? Uh, can you explain that a little bit? Well, we we hu- we hung these uh, these uh, quarter or eighth scale at a certain distance from the camera, and uh, they blended into the to the real set. And following The Prisoner of Zenda came um, a, a film which uh, wasn't particularly successful with the public called Trifling Women. And in that, I think you, uh, again, uh, used a new technique. Yes, we uh, we developed the match shot for that 
picture, mm -hmm. which uh, was a combination of the hanging miniature and the matzow, which we'd uh, mat off everything we didn't want and put in what we did want. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about uh, how you happened to think of that one night when you were troubled by insomnia and had uh, Ben Hur flickering through your mind? Yes, well, we, uh, at that time, uh, Mr. Ingram thought he was going to do Ben Hur, and I was endeavoring to see how we do such scenes as the crucifixion scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, that and the idea came to me very clearly that what the lens would take in, it would throw out if we put a, uh, put a lamp in back of it. Mm -hmm. So George Mitchell built a little setup uh, for me, and that's how the first match out came about. The effect is certainly very beautiful. Now, I have a notation in here about um, uh, Ramon Navarro's salary. Um, didn't he receive a very lucrative offer just before uh, you went down to Florida on where the pavement Yes, uh, well, uh, when we went to Florida before the pavement ends, uh, the prisoners then had not been quite released. Mm -hmm. And uh, Samuel Goldwyn offered him, uh, at that time, Navarro was getting $200 a week. He was offered uh, a three-year contract by Goldwyn at a starting at 1000 2000 and 3000 mm -hmm. But he told me he uh, didn't feel he was worthy of that that he would stick with uh, Ingram until he felt he was. But after the, the, where the Pavement Inn was finished uh, and Navarro went to New York by Mr. Lowe had heard about this and he made the adjustment. Mm -hmm. And down in Florida, I think this is a fascinating story about your difficulties with processing. Well, we had a non-air-conditioned laboratory and uh, it was very humid and hot all the time we were there. We used tons of ice each day and uh, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of calcium chloride to try to dry out the things, but it was no avail. The, the last uh, four or five weeks we were there, we went five miles by auto and three miles by boat. Mm -hmm. The laboratory was completely underwater. The only dry room in the whole lab was the, was the drying room. Oh. We, we, had to, uh, we kept the water out of there by the use of dikes and other things. Every other uh, room in the lab was, was covered with water. Mm -hmm. Then came um, Scaramouche, another film with Rex Ingram. And I have uh, a notation on Lowe. Do you remember what that would be? We can just skip it if it doesn't. Uh, L-O-E-W. Well, let's go on to that. Uh, About how many cameras were on that? That was a big French Revolution. Yes, well, in the, uh, in the uh, scenes of the mobs, we used about a dozen cameras. Mm -hmm. After this... You, uh, uh, we went to Europe. Yes. And the first film that you made there was the Arab. Arab, yes. Made mostly in Tunis and Paris. Mm -hmm. Al did, were you in Algiers at all? Or Algiers? Yeah, well, we, we went there for a few days, but most, most of the African stuff was made in Tunis. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I have a notation here about you uh, pioneering in laboratory work again. Well, we were, uh, we used a very strange... Uh, I've forgotten the name of the uh, uh, those little drums, but uh, that's what we used. And our laboratory was in the basement of the Hotel Majestic at mm -hmm. Tunis. This but, uh, you did in lieu of, of, of... Was this the time when you... When you uh, what, what would have been the alternative? I mean, or were you forced to do your own work there? Could you have sent, sent it out anyway? We did send... After a, f a couple of weeks, we sent uh, most of the film to the Maurice Laboratory in Paris. But mm -hmm. we still had to get enough to for dailies. Mm -hmm. I think you should tell us that story about the sunset. I think that's a very good one. Well, I'd always uh, heard of the Sahara Desert as uh, just uh, uh, 
a wasteland of frightful heat. But uh, I, I had a different experience there. One uh, night we, we stayed over to take a, a sunset shot of the camels crossing this mound. We sent the cars back to the town, and coming back, he broke down. So my, I had the most uh, rather uh, humorous experience of uh, nearly freezing to death <laughs> in the Sahara <laughs> Desert. <laughs> and I think uh, after this, you returned momentarily to New York, didn't you? Yes. Yes, we returned to New York. We were there for about uh, six months before returning to Europe. And, and while in New York, I made a picture for Mr. Brolatour, price of a party. Let's hear about the, uh, the screen test, Mr. Sykes. Well, we made a screen test uh, of Miss Hampton for Mr. Brolatour and uh, ran it uh, at the Herbograph Laboratory. Mr. Brolatour was very happy. He thought uh, Hope looked wonderful, and uh, he was very pleased. But uh, that night, after taking it to his, uh, showing it to uh, Miss Hampton in his, in his prior projection room at home, he he uh, he said uh, she thought it was fine, except uh, she missed a special light on her teeth in the close-up. He said, "I think it's uh, Mr. Brolatour said he thought it was." Not, uh, not right, but a little, but just to please hope. Let, let's do that in the close-ups, <laughs> so, to which I agreed. <laughs> and then back to then Europe. Back to Europe. And to uh, Marin Austin. Mm -hmm. And again, there was laboratory. Yes, uh, we, uh, we decided to uh, do the picture from the base at Nice. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we had uh, the the French crew we were able to get at Nice was not quite all that it should be. So we had considerable trouble. Again, we, uh, as in, when we were in Florida, we had to send uh, most of our film to uh, Paris mm -hmm. and just did the dailies at, uh, at Nice. Everybody remembers the love scene in the aquarium. Can you tell us a little about that, Mr. Seitz? Well, we expected to have to spend a week uh, doing the scene, but fortunately the octopi did what we wanted them to do, so we finished in about two or three hours. Mm -hmm. But we had, uh, which made up for the delay we had in getting the set so it would work, we discovered that you cannot fake an aquarium. Mm -hmm. It has to be real. Mm -hmm. So uh, after about four or five days of trying, we finally got a real aquarium. In the meantime, uh, you'd been securing octopi. Yes, they were all over the Mediterranean. <laughs> and they would die as fast as we put, put them in this tank. But we finally got some of them who were a little tougher, and they managed to live long enough to do the scene anyway. Mm -hmm. And then uh, everybody also remembers the sequence at the end where the submarine captain is drowning, and he goes down through the water. Uh, well, uh, that was done on the stage with the use of, uh, of uh, rather bad glass to represent the the roughness of the water, and uh, shot through a tank. It was all done on the stage, and ended about four times normal. Then, let me see, in 1926, it seems to me that, um, was it, 
one afternoon, one lazy afternoon, you were lying around and there was a conversation about a novel. Is that how it goes? Yes. Or you correct me if this is wrong. Yes. Uh, uh, someone has sent Mr. Ingham uh, a note from uh, from Cam that uh, thought The Magician by Somerset Maugham would make a very interesting picture. So uh, Ingham's uh, friend and uh, story editor or finder said he'd read the book and thought it was awful and wouldn't make a picture at all. So uh, uh, Ingram asked me to read the story, and uh, a couple of days, which I did, and a couple of days later I came back and said I agreed with Harry so long that it was pretty bad. <laughs> so that made him more determined than ever to do it. So that's the, that was our next our next picture with Ingram. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Paul, Paul Wagner appeared in Paul, that. Paul Wagner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Ivan Petrovich, Petrovich and Alice Terry. Mm -hmm. That, that was the last picture I did with Mr. Ingram. Oh, that's I true. came back to the States after that. Didn't you say that there was uh, one rather attractive uh, symbolic sequence that was cut out? Yes, it was cut, cut out. It, uh, it was a scene reminiscent of the Middle Ages, uh, uh, witchcraft and other th I, I I don't know. I, I, it's a little difficult for me to describe it after so many years, mm -hmm. but, but yes. it was a very effective photographically, but for some reason or other it was cut out, mm -hmm. which I greatly regret. Now, after this, you appeared <coughs> to have returned to the United States yes. and then put on another long picture. Game. Yes, the Trail of 98, uh, mm -hmm. Clarence Brown. Which occupied uh, you for about how long? Uh, well, actually, with the search for locations and everything, uh, the actual shooting was about five months, but we were on it about eight or nine mm -hmm. total. Mm -hmm. the location finding was quite a quite a chore in that. We did most of it in, uh, a great deal of it in Colorado, at a place called Corona. It was 11,660 feet above the, uh, above sea level and uh, 2,000 feet above the timberline. Mm -hmm. Were you working with uh, very many people on the set most of the time? We had about 125 extras. Sometimes uh, on two days of the time we had an extra thousand. Mm. By the way, I uh, forgot to uh, we ask... Lived, we lived in trains, and uh, the only accommodation we had. Mm -hmm. I forgot to ask you, I believe, how long uh, Mara Nostrum occupied you. Didn't you say that was the uh, longest... The longest picture I was ever on, 11 months. 11 months. Mm -hmm. no. So I don't know where to pick it. Yes. Mm -hmm. During the uh, making of the fair co-ed, Mr. Seitz, you had a big um, college rally season, yes. did you not? And uh, in that rally, I, uh, in order to uh, give a certain sparkle to it, I decided to use uh, some of those specially, specially made furs which we, which we had used so successfully in the Trail of 98. So we ordered some from Culver City. Uh, and uh, we used about a half a dozen in this rally, spaced uh, accordingly. But a very unfortunate thing happened. A few of them, which had probably been frozen from uh, being sipped from Colorado, sputtered and exploded. And of all the, uh, and out of all the 300 people, the only one who was slightly injured was Mary, uh, Mary and Davies, who said I shouldn't have been in the, but she insisted on being in the rally. 
this, uh, this of course, was a, a very unfortunate accident. And like most accidents, uh, there's no reason for it to happen because Miss <coughs> Davies didn't have to be in the rally at all. It was a long night shot and you couldn't have recognized anyone. Mm -hmm. But that's the way uh, the wall bounces. Did you have much contact with uh, Irving Thalberg in those days? Did well, uh, Mr. Thalberg wanted to see me about something, the first or second day on the ferry co-ed, and uh, he said he felt that our photography was a little too refined for such a picture of youth, and uh, and he suggested I, uh, I sparkle up a bit, especially with the use of spotlights, which I hadn't used for uh, seven years, except for window effects. Mm -hmm. And then when you made uh, Across to Singapore, he had some more suggestions, didn't he, about after he looked at this? Yes, he did. Uh, we made the picture in the very short time of 25 days, but after Mr. Thalberg looked at the picture, he decided to emphasize the part taken by Navarro. So he changed the story, and we had uh, 16 days of added scenes and retakes. After the cutting of that, uh, he made some more changes, so we had another eight days of that. So the picture, which originally was made in 25 days, finally took up 50, <laughs> just twice. But it turned out quite well. I wish you'd tell us a little bit about working on uh, A Divine Lady under Frank Lloyd. Where was that made, and uh, did you have any problems with the ships? Well, we had uh, the problems of the lack of light. Uh, we worked, uh, we made that mostly between Catalina and uh, Long Beach. And, of course, the important thing in the sea picture uh, with sailing ships to get wind in the sails. And that uh, that was even, uh, that's just as important as light. Mm -hmm. uh, after the picture was finished, uh, we, uh, the officials at First National thought they would uh, like to uh, use uh, much of the material we uh, had used for the Battle of Trafalgar to uh, make the Battle of the Nile. So uh, since we'd only shot for the, for the battle, battle of Trafalgar, we had to do a lot of, uh, of repetition mm -hmm. to uh, show both the Battle of the Nile and the Battle of Trafalgar. And I don't know how many in the audience got to, saw the, the uh, repetition, but I'm sure the vast majority of them didn't. I enjoyed your story about two stuntmen on the picture. Oh, yes. <laughs> there were two. Uh, for the sailors falling overboard uh, in, during the battle, we had two stuntmen. Andy, you mentioned Jack Wagner. Jack Wagner and Andy Devine, who must have taken 20 falls apiece. <laughs> I don't know how much stuntmen got those days, but they made plenty. <laughs> they were fall falling overboard <laughs> all day long. <laughs> and then after... Um, let me see. Along in here came Adoration, and you uh, used some previous sets on that, didn't you? Uh, we used, in, in Adoration, we used uh, many of the sets we had built for the Divine Lady. Mm -hmm. so, uh, the thing I remember most about Adoration, uh, we had a 30-day schedule on it, because it seemed to be a very tough picture. But, uh, strange as may seem, we did the picture in 22 and a half days which in a way was unfortunate because all that that succeeded in doing was to reduce the schedules on the subsequent First National Pictures. <laughs> and then after Adoration came uh, Saturday's Children, and that closed uh, up a long, long period for you. Uh, of silent pictures. That was the last silent picture I, I ever did. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
called uh, the squall, Mr. Seitz. You entered the sound phase, didn't you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little about the making of that? Well, the squall was made entirely at night. Uh, the recording apparatus was at the uh, Sunset, uh, Warner Sunset Studio. It was transmitted over wires to uh, Burbank. Another thing I remember about the squall, that only uh, two people in the large cast had ever been in a talking picture before. And they were veterans of possibly one picture. Dr. Myrna Loy and Richard Tucker? They were the only ones that had ever been in a talkie before. What did you do with the, uh, the mic or the mic? The mic, well, at, at, up until the very end of the squall, we used to use old oh, five, six, or seven mic microphones. Mics and the actual walk from one to another. Mm -hmm. It kept the mixer rather busy. But toward the end of the squall, for the first time, we saw the uh, more wrist and boom, mm -hmm. which uh, you could swing the mic around. Did you conceal the mics on the set? Yes, they had to be concealed with uh, things that looked like shovels or other things, plenty into the back of the set. Mm -hmm. uh, then you made a film called uh, Careers that followed the squall with Billy Duff. Mm -hmm. How did Miss Dove react? Uh, Miss Dove seemed uh, completely uh, astonished and uh, by the complete silence which ensued after the, they rang the, the bell. Mm -hmm. This was this he had never experienced in the silent films where the noise was quite tolerable. Mm -hmm. In 1930, you made a film called Murder Will Out, and I think you were still having problems recording sound, weren't you? Yes, well, and one, one thing I particularly remember is a, uh, a rain scene which took place outside of a saloon and under an awning. Well, the two conspirators were supposed to be whispering, but the sound man wanted their voices up, so they finally had it shouting. And we said, well, this is ridiculous, but he said they, in re-recording we'd get it down. But, I, but just by smothering uh, the shouts, it doesn't sound, it seemed like a whisper. Tell us about uh, working with uh, Otis Skinner and Kismet toward the end of 1930. Well, uh, Mr. Skinner, of course, had played Kismet for years and years on the stage, and he, he was given the right to play the part any way he wished to. But uh, while it was all right for everyone else, it was just murder for the sound man, because either Mr. Skinner would be uh, whispering low with his head down, or would then raise, rise up and uh, shout the top of his lungs, which is, which is just murderous for the sound man. <laughs> it was, especially on wax, with wax recording. Yes. Mr. Seitz, uh, by the time the sound period was well underway, you were obviously working with some of the top directors and some of the top stars, and the result was almost a constant procession of films to remember. Faced uh, um, with this huge group of films to deal with, Let's just almost give up and, and spot check wildly on it, and I wish you'd tell us a little bit about um, working with the director Preston Sturgis, with whom you made Sullivan's Travels and Miracle of Morgan's Creek and Hail the Conquering Hero. Well, Mr. Sturgis is one of the most interesting personalities I've ever encountered in my life. He, uh, he became, he was a, a very uh, successful writer, and he took up directing because he didn't want his dialogue changed. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he enjoyed directing very much for quite a while. In fact, he said directing was fun while writing was hard work. Uh, 
but uh, he was uh, but he was so interesting and such an interesting personality that uh, although he loved to work long hours uh, it didn't seem it didn't seem at all uh, burdensome Well, all I can say about Sturgis. Now tell us about working with Billy Wilder, with whom you made uh, Five Graves to Cairo and Double Indemnity and Lost Weekend and Sunset Boulevard. Well, uh, Billy Wilder uh, paid Sturgis a great compliment to me that it was the example of Sturgis that enabled him to have enough courage to direct. Mm -hmm. But Billy Wilder is a, is a very fine pictorialist. He uh, likes to be bold and different, and it's a pleasure to work with. He's rather stimulating. Gloria Swanson came back after a long interval on Sunset Boulevard, didn't she? Yes, she did. We did a tape with her in New York, and she spoke so glowingly of uh, the excitement and the uh, gratification in working on this film. Yes, well, she was so uh, she was so interested in Sunset Boulevard that when we worked, uh, even after she was through with the pictures, she'd come over every day and visit, and. Uh, she felt uh, very depressed when she finished the picture. She said she had so much fun doing it. Well, certainly an unusual compliment. Yes. Then, of course, you've worked with Shirley Temple, and you've worked with Janet Gaynor, and yes. you've worked with Alan Ladd. As a matter of fact, I think we totaled up about 19 films in all that you've done yes. with Mr. Ladd, and yes. you just completed the film with him, I guess almost, uh, but literally, the other day. Didn't yes, you? yes, the 26th of March. Mr. Seitz, we're very, very grateful for the opportunity to have come here and conducted this interview with you. This interview has taken place at the home of Mr. Seitz, April 5th, 1958. Well, well thank you very much. I'm sorry I, I didn't have more interesting things to tell you. <laughs>